Hello, and welcome to the River of Life podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. That song is extremely biblical. In the end, he wins. All of his enemies will be defeated. And I'll tell you something else, friends. If we follow him and walk with Jesus, in the end, we win. And that's a, that's a great thing. I want you to open your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 12. And actually, this is part two of the message that I began last Sunday. And what we will do this morning, and maybe for a couple of Sundays, is kind of have a series within a series. We are looking at the last apostle, that being John, uh, and his writings. But at this portion of Scripture that we're looking at this morning... He's talking about spiritual growth, and I'll explain that to you again in just a moment. And so what I want us to do is just kind of pause right here for a moment at this passage and maybe for a couple of Sundays talk about spiritual growth and what it looks like and how the Bible defines spiritual growth. Not how we define it, but how the Bible defines it, what the Bible says that it looks like. Now, I want to give you a challenge toward the end of the service. And so I hope you have a pen or a pencil or a piece of paper or if you can borrow one from somebody and just kind of be in the ready position because I'm going to give you a challenge to do six things for one week. Six things for one week. And I will also tell you that this challenge uh, is very closely associated with spiritual growth. And you'll understand when we get there. Now I'm hoping you have your Bibles open by now to 1 John chapter 2, and we'll begin reading in verse 12. 1 John chapter 2, verse 12. The title of the message is Reasons for Writing Spiritual Growth, and that was certainly one of the reasons for him writing. He says, I write to you little children. And again, let me just pause. I said this last week. One of the things I like about John's writings is John doesn't just write. He tells you why he's writing. And so he says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you little children because you have known the father. I have written unto you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. Do not love the world or the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. 
And the world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. Now, just for a quick review, what we looked at last week was that John begins in a very poetic form, almost like you would read in the book of Proverbs. He begins to tell them what happened to them when they came to Jesus in salvation. And he says, I write unto you little children, I write unto you fathers, I write unto you young men. It's pretty much his writing style. Later on in the book, he'll just say, I write to you little children. Most of the scholars believe John was in his 90s when he wrote this, and he was referring to most of his congregation as little children. Very few people lived to that age in those days. And, and, and so it's very endearing the way he writes to them. But this is basically what he says to them. I'm writing unto you because your sins have been forgiven for his namesake. I'm writing unto you because you know the one who is from the beginning. Another way to say that is you know the eternal one. I'm writing unto you because you have overcome the wicked one. I'm writing unto you because you are strong and because the Word of God abides in you. Now, as I told you last week, when I first started reading this passage of Scripture, I thought he was addressing spiritual growth in that particular passage. But as I meditated on it, and as I got before the Holy Spirit, and the Lord began to open my eyes, I realized that all of those things are true of a, mom, of a person at the moment they get saved. Every one of those things are true of you if you have invited Jesus into your heart and you've had a born-again experience. I write unto you because your sins have been forgiven for His namesake. That's true. I write unto you because you know the Eternal One. Let me tell you, the moment of salvation, you have met the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You know Him. You've had an encounter with Him. I'm writing unto you because you've overcome the wicked one. I'm telling you, friends, at the moment you trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you overcome the wicked one because He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. You've invited the greater one into your heart and you have overcome the wicked one. The moment you get saved, I can look at you and say, you are strong. You have spiritual strength. You have the anointing of the Father in you. You have a portion of heaven in you right now. When He came in, He brought strength. You may not be using that strength, but it is in you. It is a part of you. And I write unto you because the Word of God abides in you. Did you know you can't get saved apart from the Word of God? You can't. Now, you may not know all of the Word of God, and that's what spiritual growth is all about, but I can tell you that if you've ever trusted Jesus, the Word of God is in you, the Word of salvation, the Word of truth that brought to you the knowledge of salvation. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is all beginner stuff is because that's the only way it can make sense in the context of this passage. Because notice what he says. He says, your sins have been forgiven. You've met the Father. You've overcome the wicked one. You are strong and the word of God abides in you. Now, look at verse 15. Now he says, do not love the world, neither the things that are in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Basically what he's saying is now that these things are true, now it's time for you to start growing in grace. It's time for you to love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. These are foundational truths. Now it's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to mature in the faith. 
It's time for you to start fleshing anymore. Those things are passing away. You've met the eternal one. And you don't want to waste your life on those things that are passing away. You want to give your life to the eternal one because you're going to live for eternity with him. Now, I carried you through all of that last week. And I told you right at the end, I'm going to share with you 10 things, 10 descriptions of biblical growth according to Scripture. And so that's what I want to do right now. Now, you can write these down as you, if you want to, but this is not what I want you to have the pen and paper ready for. Here it is. I'm going to give you 10, 10 things. This is what the Bible indicates to be spiritual growth, facilitators of spiritual growth, 10 things that promote spiritual growth, 10 steps. This is what it looks like biblically. Are you ready? Follow after righteousness. 1 Timothy 6.11 You want to know if you're growing in the Lord? Then I'll ask you a question. Are you following after righteousness? Or are you constantly making excuses for unrighteousness in your life? Second one. Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Romans 12.2 Are you following after righteousness? Is your mind being renewed? Is this something that you're doing? Are you making sure that your mind is renewed? By the way, you're in church today. That's a pretty good sign. You're trying to stay in the game and in the fight. And I applaud you for that. Number three, cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh. 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Cleanse yourself. We're going to spend a whole sermon on this one. Cleanse yourself. From all filthiness of the flesh. Are you busy cleaning things up? Are you cleaning your home up? Are you cleaning your business up? Are you cleaning your language up? Are you cleaning your act up? Are you cleaning things up? Cleanse yourself from all filthiness of the flesh. Again, same verse, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I want to ask you a question. Do you fear God? You say, oh, I don't believe in that stuff anymore. When did you quit believing the Bible? We're to fear God. He's an awesome God. The earth melts in His presence, one scripture says. The holy presence of God. You and God are not buddies. I'm sorry to tell you, every now and then I'll say, I'll hear somebody say, oh, me and God are on good terms. He's my buddy. No, He's not. He's a holy God. He's a consuming fire. He is pure holiness and pure light. And not one of us can stand in His presence. Not one of us can stand in His presence. And I want you to know that you and I should love God and we should know He loves us, but there should be a healthy fear of God that we cannot blaspheme His name. We cannot disgrace Him. We cannot lower Him to our standards. The next one, pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, Philippians 3.14. Are you on a journey? Are you pressing heavenward, higher, upward? Colossians 2.7, be rooted and build up and established in the faith. That's part of spiritual growth. Jude 20, build yourself up through praying in the Spirit. Oh, I want to tell you, we should be praying all the time. But there are times in our lives when we should enter in before the Holy Spirit and we should ask the Holy Spirit of God to help us. We need help. One scripture says we do not know how to pray as we ought, but the Spirit makes groanings for us. 
Oh, sometimes we need the Holy Spirit to help us, and that builds us up. The next one is Jude, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God. We'll spend some time on that one. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Are your eyes on man today? Are your eyes on the Lord? Every now and then I'll hear somebody say, You know, I used to go to church, but I quit going to church because I saw a deacon do this. Now that's about the dumbest thing on the planet. You, you, so you saw a deacon do something wrong, so you gave up on God because a deacon did something wrong? That doesn't make sense. And it also confesses to the whole world that your eyes are on the wrong thing. Your eyes ought to be on the Lord. This is going to be good, some of this stuff. Maybe a little uncomfortable, but it'll be good. And then finally, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. Did I get all ten of them? Somebody was counting. Thank you. <clears throat> now, we'll take a, a, a closer look uh, over the next few weeks at these things, spiritual growth. I want to go to the very end. And I didn't give them to you in any particular order. It's just random order. But I want to go to the last one. And that last one is let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Colossians 3.16. I'll just read the whole verse. Colossians 3.16, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Isn't that a great verse? You know what the Bible teaches? You know what that verse teaches? It teaches that you and I should be full of the word, full of the word of God, full of the word of Christ. And then this is what we should be doing. We should be teaching and encouraging and admonishing one another with that Word. And we're to be doing it with a great deal of excitement and singing and rejoicing. I tell you, friends, when we come into this house, and if you're visiting with us, you'll begin to get the feel of river of life. When we come into this house, it should be fruit basket turnover. It should be all about the Word of God, but it should be fruit basket turnover. There should be glory hallelujahs going on all over this house as the Word of God and the truth of God is at the center of what we're doing. But it's not dull and it's not boring. It's about Him. It's about His Word. It's about letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly and that's what we're doing and that's what we want to do now when we let the word of christ dwell in us richly do you know what happens we start growing in grace and 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 i want to say this those 12 things i gave i mean 10 things i gave to you earlier listen to this my eyes were opened i didn't even see this until after i'd prepared all of them and after the lord had led me to these things But all ten of these are things you have to do for yourself. The Lord will save you. He'll forgive you of your sins. He will introduce Himself to you. He'll make you an overcomer. He'll put His strength inside of you. And He'll bring His Word into your very being. But these ten things I've shared with you, God won't do them for you. You have to do them for you. You and I have to let the Word of Christ dwell within us richly. And when we do that, guess what happens? We start growing. We start growing up. We start maturing. 
We don't remain babies the rest of our lives. We get strong. We begin to understand. We have knowledge. We know who we are. We know who He is in us. We know what He's doing in us. And we know what life is all about as we get into the Word of God and we saturate ourselves in the Word and the Word abides in us and lives in us. It's amazing. It's not unlike physical life. If you have a baby, that baby has to have food to grow, right? Physical food. Our food is the Word of God. And when the Word of God dwells in you and you are feasting on the Word of God, guess what? You start growing up. That's a wonderful thing. Now... There are many, many, many benefits from having the Word of God to dwell in you. I'm going to focus on just one little area this morning, and I really believe that the Lord will use this. And, and, and here's, here's this area, and that is it's the peace of God. Did you know that the peace of God and the Word of God go hand in hand? They're part of one another. When you have the peace of God... You have to have the Word of God, and when you really have the Word of God, you have the peace of God. They go together. Now, I read verse 16, Colossians 3, 16. If you back up to verse 15, look at this. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called into one body, and be thankful. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. He says, let the the peace of God rule your heart. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly. They go together. They're, they're part of the same. And, and those two are significant. L- listen to Psalm 119, 165. Now, pay attention. Don't just listen to my voice. Pay attention to these words. Great peace. What kind of peace? Great peace have they which love thy law. The word law is just another word for the word of God or the Bible or the truth of God. Great peace have they that love thy law. And nothing shall offend them. Oh, my goodness, friends. One of the great benefits, one of the great advantages that we have as children of God growing up in a dark and dying world, one of the things that happens to us is we begin to grow up in grace. Guess what happens? We have the peace of God and nothing offends us. Because the Word of Christ is dwelling in us richly. Great peace have those who know your law and love your law and keep your law. And they are not offended. Now, why would the word offense come in there? Because you see, friends, those are opposite. See, when you have the peace of God, you're not offended. And when you're offended, you don't have the peace of God. They don't go together. They don't go together at all. And I'm standing before you this morning doing exactly what the Scripture says, admonishing you and teaching you and encouraging you to let the Word of Christ dwell in you because I know what will happen if the Word of Christ dwells in you and you dwell in the Word, you'll begin to grow in grace. And guess what? You can stop being offended at everything. You can take off the offense that comes with childhood. I I read an article recently that was written by a college student. And remember now, this, this was written by a college student. This is what he said. I truly believe that we are the most whiny, sensitive, thin skinned, easily offended society in the history of the world. 
nobody has ever been as prolific at getting offended as we are. Nobody cries over insignificant nonsense as loudly and consistently as us. Do you think he's right? Man, what has happened in America? Uh, in this article, and I'll have to paraphrase because it was so long, but he talked about political correctness and microaggression and being offended. And he said he was in one class. And he said a girl raised her hand and said, I, I want to make a few comments. Professor said, go ahead. She said, I think it's offensive when a man opens the door for a woman or pulls a chair out for her. She said, I think that's offensive because it insinuates that she is incapable of doing it for herself. I'm not making this up. And he said to his amazement, the professor said, you got it. You're right on. And almost everybody in the class agreed. So, gentlemen, when you go to the restaurant this afternoon, if you open the door for your wife or for another woman, if you pull the chair out to show respect, just know you may be offending everybody else in the house. Is that stupid? Is that insane or what? I mean, that's crazy, isn't it? Listen, listen, this is what the college student that wrote this article said. I feel like I'm surrounded by crazy people. Come on, I want to show a hand. Do you ever feel like you're surrounded by crazy people? What has happened to this insane, crazy nation that we live in? We live in a society that's offended and a society that's teaching people to be offended about everything. Could the enemy possibly do a better job at dismantling a nation than he's doing in America? It is fast and furious. And it's not just all this big bad stuff. This is the kind of silly nonsense. Now, I need to talk to you just a minute. So put your seatbelts on. Or maybe before I say put your seatbelts on, maybe I should say put your big boy pants on. <laughs> and then put your seatbelt on. And then hold on just for a moment. And, and before you jump up and run out, hear me all the way through, okay? Parents grandparents. I want to talk to you just for a moment. Teach your children not to be offended. Teach your children, teach your grandchildren not to be offended. The problem with this is, is that Far too many parents and grandparents are doing just the opposite. They're teaching their children to be offended. Something happens to the child. Somebody says something mean. Somebody says something ugly. 
And rather than the parent or the grandparent taking that opportunity to teach their own child to grow up and not be like everybody else in the world, the parent takes up the offense of the child and reinforces the offended feeling and makes it more part of who they are. Hey, parents, please don't be offended. Children call each other names. That's what they do. That's one of their number one occupations. They think that's what they're here on earth to do. And they all do it. Now listen, I love children. I love my children. I love my grandchildren. I love your children. I love your grandchildren. I'm going to love Vacation Bible School, but please listen to me. I want to state a fact to you. Children are insensitive, selfish, self-centered, mean, hateful little people who say ugly things to one another. That's what they do. That's who they are. And, it, and I want to be honest with you, really and truly, that in and of itself is not a big deal. How you react, how you respond when it happens is a big deal. That's a big deal. Next time your child comes to you, and I guess it's appropriate I'm preaching this on the Sunday morning as vacation Bible schools begin. The next time your child comes to you and says, so-and-so said something ugly to me, so-and-so said something mean to me, they call me a name. Now, there are all kinds of good ways to handle that. But I just want to give you one suggestion. Why don't you just say this to your child? Have you ever called anybody a name? Have you ever acted ugly to someone else? Have you ever hurt someone else's feelings? And more than likely, your child's going to say, No. <laughs> no, I've never called anybody a name. I've never done anything mean. And I've never done anything ugly. And if you're not a very smart parent, you will believe them. <laughs> and you'll take up their offense. And you will raise a child that will be dysfunctional in our society. I suggest to you that you take that as a moment to teach your child and say to your child something like this. Now you know how it feels. You shouldn't say ugly things to other people. And by the way, and by the way, if they need loving and if they need to be told it's going to be all right and you need to kiss on them and hug on them and reassure them, that's very good. You should do that. But say something like this to them. Now you just make sure you don't talk like that to other people. And also know this, for the rest of your life, People are going to say mean and ugly things about you. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to get some tough skin. It's time for you to quit being offended. I want you to grow up. We're not going to change the world here. We're going to change you and grow you in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord. And I'm going to put the Word of God in you. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. Some of you are thinking, you can't say that to a little child. They won't understand what you're talking about. 
you're wrong. They will understand. And if you will say it to them today and the next time it happens and you'll take the Word of God and you'll begin to teach them the Word of God and you'll direct them away from offense, if you'll direct them away from that, sooner or later you'll have to do it week after week, you'll have to do it year after year, but sooner or later it'll become part of their spiritual DNA. It'll become the part of the fabric of who they are. I just want you to understand, you can't change the world. Every now and then some parent, their child gets offended and this parent goes on this crusade to try to change the rest of the world so it'll be a nice place for their child. Maybe this would be a good time for me to ask, is there anybody here who has never been called a name? Your whole life, nobody ever said anything mean or ugly? Nobody ever called you a name? Anybody? Fatso. Beanpole. Four eyes. Baldy. Clumsy. Runt. Dummy. Stupid. Loser. Ditz. Dumb blonde. Bully. Meathead. Nerd. Those are the clean ones. Those are the ones that are appropriate for the pulpit. (laughs) Listen, the enemy is the prince of the power of the air. He's going to attack your child. You cannot defeat the whole world. You can't go out there and redeem the whole world, but you can redeem your child. Don't reinforce the bad behavior. By the way, not making any of this up, and this will be an understatement. When I was growing up, they called me names. And it was, it, it was progressive. It, it, it evolved. It, they started out by calling me red-headed woodpecker. That's that real. They called me red-headed woodpecker. And then that evolved. I'm not making this up. And then I became Woody Woodpecker. I guess because everybody... Is Woody Woodpecker still a cartoon today? Still around? That's what they call me. Woody Woodpecker. By the way, he's getting old. Because that's what they call me. They call me Woody Woodpecker. And then sometimes I'd be walking down the hall and I'd say, Hey, Woody! It just got abbreviated to Woody. I kind of like that a little better than Woody Woodpecker. But anyway... It got woody. And then I, it, I am not lying. There came a time when I was in maybe uh, elementary school or middle school, and I'd walk down the hallway, and I am not lying. They wouldn't say a word. They'd just go, I'm telling you the truth. Can I tell you that my parents did not go out to the school and try to straighten the world out? My parents, and I guarantee you some of you older folks can agree with, uh, remember this. My parents said to me, grow up. Grow up. Everybody calls names. By the way, I used to call them some pretty rough names myself. I mean, I wasn't Lily White. I mean, we were all in this game, but I never told my parents that. But my parents 
didn't go to the school and try to straighten everybody out. My parents said, grow some thick skin. Grow some thick skin. Quit being so thin skin. Grow up. Rest of your life, people will say mean things to you. Know who you are. Believe in who you are. Believe in who God created you to be. Friends, that's what you and I should do. Own it. Man, I used to tell them I'm proud of my red hair. At least I don't look like the rest of you folks. <laughs> By the way, when people tease you, if you own it, they'll quit teasing you. They will. And, and, and I'm just trying to get you to understand that you and I, as Christians, cannot remove the offense of a dark, dying, evil, inspired, offensive world. We can't remove that, but what we can do is teach our children and we can teach ourselves how to grow up and how to stop being offended at everything. Oh my goodness. Let me tell you something. Get in the Word of God. Let the Word of God get in you. Know who you are in Christ. Know who He is in you. Start growing in the grace and in the knowledge. Know where your eternity lies. Find out who you are in Christ by getting in the Word of God. And you can stop being offended at everything around you. really is the truth. Do you know why most churches in America... I, that, that, that's an overstatement. I shouldn't say that. Do you know why many churches in America can't grow? It's because in many churches, there's a group of people in the church who refuse to get in the Word of God, and they're offended, and everything offends them, and they're always stirring up offense in the church. And so the church can't grow. Now, I'm... I'm I've pastored churches like that. I've pastored churches that can't... only way they could possibly grow is to have about 50 funerals all at one time. <laughs> Bury all the offend- people who are offended, and then maybe you'd have a chance, but that won't work. So anyway, but I'm, I'm serious about that. By the way, I am so thrilled to tell you this. This church is not one of those churches. This is not an offended church. Now, I'm not saying that nobody ever gets offended in this church because every now and then somebody does get offended. But one of two things happens. They either get over the offense or they leave. And leaving's not always bad, folks. If somebody's offended and they won't get over their offense and they won't get right with God, leaving is a pretty good option for us. It is. And what happens is somebody in this church gets offended and... And the reason they will leave if they don't get over it is because we have so many mature Christians in this church that they refuse to take up the offense of another person. They won't do it. I'll love you. I'll minister to you. I'll sympathize with you. I'll try to walk with you through it. But I won't take up your offense. I just won't do it. Why? Because I'm in the Word. And that's what's happening in this fellowship. Here's the answer, friends. And that is fall in love with Jesus. Really, I'm serious. Fall in love with Jesus. Fall in love with His Word. Get in the Word. God's not going to do this for you. You have to do this. Get in the Word and then let the Word fill you up and saturate you. And you can stop being offended. You won't live an offended life. And you won't take up the offense of another person. Guess what will happen? Perfect peace will become yours as you grow in grace 
and, and you won't be offended. I need to read this to you. This is what many immature Christians do. If we can't get anger out of our lives, we dress it up and make it look spiritual. If our hearts are offended, we learn how to project a demeanor that says my heart is free from offense. If we're not really happy, then we act as though we are. Sometimes, for some people, the Christian life is not about learning how to live better, but learning how to look better. It's not about really walking with the Lord. It's about looking like you're walking with the Lord. When I read that, my heart was broken. Oh, friends, I don't want us to just look like we're walking with the Lord. I want us to truly walk with the Lord. Got your pen in hand? Got your pencil? I want to give you a challenge. And I want to preface this challenge by telling you that if you do not get in the Word of God and you don't let the Word of God get in you, you will fail this challenge, okay? I hope you'll do it. I see some of you getting ready to write. Some of you are saying, hurry up and finish this message. I got something else I need to do today. (laughs) You didn't think I was looking at you, did you? Here's your challenge. I want you to go one week. This is all a one-week challenge. So we'll just do it like this. For one week, I will not get angry with anyone. Listen, you're bailing out on the first one. Some of you think the world will quit spinning if you don't get angry at least three or four times a day at somebody. But I'm telling you, you get in the Word, you can stop getting angry. I didn't say you have to agree with everything. You may pray about it. You may do some spiritual warfare, but don't get angry. I will not get angry with anyone for one week. I'll not raise my voice to anyone for one week. I know there's some children here saying, please, God, let my mama make that commitment. Number three, I will not be offended by anyone. I won't let anybody offend me. I'll walk with the Lord. Number four, I will not be drawn into a fight with anyone. (laughs) Man, we're stirring something up this morning, aren't we? What was that we sang? We're going out in deep waters. (laughs) We're getting in some deep water here. Number five. I will not be secretly upset with anyone. Hmm. We will give an altar call in just a moment, so be patient. (laughs) Number six. I will not take issue with what others say unless it is a biblical issue and the Lord is leading me to take a stand. Sometimes He will not lead you to take a stand. He'll lead you to be quiet, be silent. It's not time. Unless the Lord is leading me to take a stand, even then I will not be argumentative. Now that's your six-point challenge. We'll have testimonial service next Sunday and and see how you're doing. But I can tell you, friends, I'm honest with you. This world and the things of this world and the disposition of this world is so deeply ingrained within us as church members that the only way we can keep such a six-point commitment is we get into the Word and the Word gets in us and it dwells in us. 
richly. Years ago, in one of my first churches that I pastored, I invited a guy to come and give a testimony. He asked me if he could do it, and I said, sure. He came, got up. I didn't know him, didn't know anything about him, and this is what he did. He said, uh, he said, I had a dream the other night, and he said, I dreamed I stood before the Lord, and it was judgment day. And this is what he said. He said, I, I dreamed it was judgment day. And I, I, not, as I remember back, I think maybe he'd had this dream like a year before. But he said, I dreamed it was judgment day, and I dreamed I stood before the Lord. And he said, as I stood there before the Lord and it was judgment day, he said, I was filled with uh, a sense of rejoicing in my heart because I knew I'd been saved. I knew I repented of my sins. I knew I got right with God. And he said, and so I was, I felt so good about being there. He said, I knew it was not my righteousness, but his righteousness that I would count on to get me into heaven. And this man gave his testimony. He said, I stood there and he said, I felt so good. And he said, then all of a sudden, the Lord looked at me and he said, I saw the saddest eyes I've ever seen. And the Lord said to me, why didn't you love me? And he said, Lord, I did love you. I did love you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. And the Lord said, yes, I know, and I did. But why didn't you love me? He said, Lord, I, I, I did love you. I'm not making this up. This guy gave this testimony. This is not some story somebody made up. I heard him and it impacted my life. He said, the Lord said, why didn't you love me? And he said, Lord, I did. I ask you to forgive me of my sins. I invited you to come into my heart and be my Savior. And the Lord said, and I heard that prayer. And I did come into your heart. And I did become your Savior. But I want to know, why didn't you love me. And he said, Lord, I don't understand. I do love you. I've always loved you since the day I got saved. And the Lord said to him, I saved you many years ago. Now, this was in his dream, but I think it was a spiritual dream. The Lord said, I saved you many years ago, but you have not loved me. You go weeks and months without reading one word of Scripture. Oh, you hear it at Sunday school and you hear it in church, but you never open your Bible to read your Bible. Why didn't you love me? And there are portions of my Bible that I wrote for you that you've never even read. You've been saved many, many years, and yet you haven't even read the one book I provided for you. And the Lord said, why didn't you love me? And he said, in my dream, I hung my head in shame and embarrassment. And he said the next thing he knew, he woke up. said he rolled out of bed and got on his knees by his bed. And he said, God, if you will spare my life long enough, I'll start now. And when I stand before you, I'll be able to say, I have read your word. I've read every page of it. I've read every word. By the way, some of it is so boring, it will put you to sleep. But if you love him, this is not about feeling good. It's not about you. It's about you asking the Holy Spirit to teach his word. And he said, that morning I started reading in Genesis 1-1. I read all the way through the Bible. 
I'm going to tell you, he stir- and before his testimony was over, he stirred our whole church up, and we started reading the Bible all the way through. And since that, and I did, and since that day, I've read the Bible through many times. And I want to tell you, this man was so full of the love of God. Why? Because he was letting the word of Christ dwell in him richly. And it changed and transformed his life. And he was going from church to church telling this story. And we needed to hear it. Maybe you needed to hear it today. Are you really growing in grace? Would you bow with me in prayer? It's bowed and your eyes closed. I'm not trying to put anybody on the spot. But I'm asking you, are you growing in grace? Are you really growing? The reason I picked this one first, even though it was the last one on our list, is because you can't bypass this one. There is no growth apart from the Word of God. You've got to get in the Word. You've got to let the Word get in you. And you've got to start growing up. And you get to stop being offended and upset about everything. You get to walk with the Lord. And then He tells you the battles you need to fight. And you stand for Him. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for this day. I thank you, Father, for the privilege of preaching your word. I thank you for the growth and the maturity we see in this church. But, Lord, we long for more. We want to grow up to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. We don't want to just be a good church. We don't want to just be a church that's a little better than the church down the road. We want to be a church that's attaining to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that you are strong in us and we are strong in you. Lord, I pray that this message will touch and change hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to River of Life Podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for more information and directions.